Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical stuff it's worth knowing oh um, that we talk about oh my on God. our You knew I was pressing record. <laughs> well, that, that, that's, that's, I mean, what else do you want to say? Um, we talk about old books, old ideas, classical education. Are we education. ever going to get this intro right? Like six years in. I just, one hey, of these days. Um, it's been six years? Jeez. Probably longer, this right? This is right. This is, this this is, is good? Our, this is this our is, right. Okay. Um, my name is Graham Donaldson, and I am joined by Thomas Maybe and AJ Hannenberg. Yo. And um, we've been out of the saddle for a while, boys. This is like our third week without having an episode, just yeah. from various life things. I was I sick it was last... Just two, wasn't it? Was it two? Yeah, just two. Thomas got sick. I got... Uh, you got sick. I got a piece of wood in the But we had a couple in the, in the interim, didn't we? I, I don't know. I can't remember. I um, thought it was three, but... It's been a while. It's been know. a while. Yeah. Uh, but we're back. And um, we're talking about, like, beautiful people, but with... Like cognitive issues? Is that uh, what's going on? I don't like that at all. Oh. Uh, we're talking about... <laughs> no, it's... <laughs> we're, talking about <laughs> we're talking about thought experiments. Oh, and I I'm thought it was mental models. Mental models. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... Not sure, not, I thought by attractive girls you meant thoughts. You know what I, mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think oh, of what a thought experiment was. It's like when you try out a pickup line on, on a thought. You know it's what I mean? a thought experiment. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's, I, was to, oh. that's, I was trying to put the joke together, but no, it wasn't I was, really coalescing. I thought your episode was on mental models. Oh. And so I was t- anyway, but it's similar, that's, same kind of feel. So the supermodel goes insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mental models. So it's the same kind of feel thought experiment. Thought, thought thought experiment. I'm going to giggle this whole episode Good. now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that'd be a great like Reddit channel or something. Thought experiment. R slash thought experiment. Oh, or if like you that. were like a beautiful scientist and you had a podcast. That's uh-huh. what you would call it. <laughs> but you like grew up kind of ratchet. Uh-huh. Um, speaking of ratchet, I don't know. So this, uh, this episode's more kind of a grab bag of, uh, just listening to some of our, our previous episodes, things that have come up that maybe we haven't gone into, uh, most of what I want to cover just some like famous thought experiments from like, uh, ancient thought. And I hope that you're thinking that every single time I say that. No, I'm thinking about an ancient thought. <laughs> an ancient thought. That's exactly right. No, we saw an ancient thought. What was that tomb that you showed us, uh, Graham, in one of your episodes? Like the that like white tomb. Oh, when she was like notoriously good looking. And, and we looked at it and like oh. she's not that good looking uh, uh, from uh, from looking. Yeah, up the it picture. was one of the Dillapole girls. Mm, Cleopatra. No, no. no yeah, I know not, what you're saying. That's not right. Yeah, I, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so I guess to go into a topic on, I'm going to regret saying this every time I do uh, on thought experiments, which I guess we've already defined. Um, uh, let's. <laughs> There, I smell my coffee. You did spill your coffee. <laughs> this episode is going to go so poorly, and I'm very Sorry. excited. All right, hey, Thomas, we uh, you but deserve, it up. Thomas, you deserve better. No, we're not. You, do, no. you deserve better. We're better I've us. been through this before. I know what I deserve. I don't. Okay. Um, so uh, when I say that term, other than the intro, I can't. I don't even know how to proceed from here. Uh, I, I want to get a definition of this of this term. Uh, do, do you all have any uh, uh, definition for what it like? When I say thought experiment, what 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 do you think of? Like a scenario yeah. that's yeah. supposed to. Now you're gonna be all serious with this. See, a there's, scenario there's no that's winning. supposed to like educate or maybe enlighten on a on a particular point, yeah. or maybe a hypothetical that you can't really put into practice in real yes. life, an experiment that you cannot mm. actually do. Yeah, yeah, you're getting like, like all the reasons these things exist. There, uh, the hypothetical is a good uh, is a good uh, way of describing it. Um, and in terms of their of the of the term thought experiment being codified, there. Or a bunch of people that point to late nineteenth century this this uh, um, uh, philosopher Ernest Ernst Mach uh, I think also physicist um, uh, Gaden Ken experiment is is his uh, uh, German term that is translated to thought experiment so 
well, makes sense that he was a, experiment. Makes sense he's a physicist because right. a lot of physics problems usually start as thought experiments. Like imagine you're in a world without friction. Yeah, and you're exactly. like, okay, cool, yeah. uh, right? That's those sorts of things. But he, let's um, let's take that what example. If you balanced one Earth on another Earth. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. But for the 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 things that both of you all are saying, you make the you make this sound kind of like a bad approach or a bad way of doing things. Oh, um, I didn't intend to. But like, is there use in 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 the use of these thought experiments, or are they just purely these hypotheticals that like they're so the setup is so fake as to be useless? Not no, because usually if so they are like in the early physics experiment. Imagine a world without friction. You're doing that because you're trying to teach a concept, a physics concept, to a student, and you you want to remove that variable that's just going to make it more complicated. Like you yeah. want to you want to teach them the whatever the, the um, if you're doing you know um, f- you know for like if you're doing a lesson on force, you're doing a lesson on on gravity or whatever, you, you don't want to have like wind resistance, uh, throwing off all of your, all of your, your, uh, calculations. So you're just like, all right, remove, remove friction from this. Um, so though that's incredibly helpful. It's sure. just, it's like a simple, well, in that it instance, a it's a simplifying. And something. isn't most physics partially done in thought experiment conditions? Like you have to mm-hmm. do it sort of in a vacuum anyway, because there's all kinds of kinds of tiny forces acting on the things that you're doing. I know you didn't mean a joke, but in a vacuum is very funny for our physics, uh, thought experiments. Cause like you're, like you remove these outside. That's what I'm talking about. Like in a vacuum, like literally. I don't know. It was, it was I meant. I meant like actually yeah. in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But which then makes it um, you're oversimplifying, but it, it allows it, you to actually make a certain math. point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, um, it also lets you do things that you, like I said, you couldn't actually do. For example, yeah. we uh, maybe I'm giving something away, but Plato's Republic. Uh-huh. You can't found a new city on a whim just yeah. to test out your philosophy. Yeah. But you can think, okay, how would what is the best way to put a city together? Yeah. I, I've done this with my reading group. I said, all right, what is the best organization of government if you have to start from nothing? And they yeah. landed on something very similar to the current Israeli system, yeah. right, with kibbutzes and that sort of thing. Let's fo- and, and mandatory military service. Let's follow with, um, you You brought up Plato's Republic. Those episodes have been a while um, since we've done those. What is, what is Plato's approach there? Like, what, what is he doing? The, the goal of Plato's Republic is to find out if it is better to actually be just but have a reputation for injustice or be unjust and have a reputation for justice. Like is, is justice worth having on its own or is it only for the appearance of things? And to figure that out, he sort of zooms out and says, okay, well, what is justice in a city? And then he puts together what he imagines is the perfect city, Plato's Republic. Like how, what is the perfect system of government with perfect citizens? And then through that, trying to discover if justice is good in the person and in the, in the person alone. And ultimately comes to this conclusion of like, yeah, bro. <laughs> but it's all through uh, thought experiment. Would, would you call that a thought experiment? What is being done in the republic? Well, he's not actually creating a city, so yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, but they're still able to kind of have disagreement as to whether Plato's approach is correct, right? There's still mm-hmm. kind yes. of a back and forth going on there. I just wonder if there's something you like. You know, could someone say because you haven't actually built it, you don't know if this would actually work? That there's kind of a, a fakeness to it, or you kind of assume the conclusion by starting. The well, guy, the, yeah, the guy who's arguing it is the one giving you the thought experiment. Therefore, he kind of gets to his conclusion early. Sometimes there are also famous famous thought experiments that don't really have an answer, right? The trolley. Trolley is one. Yeah, the trolley experiment. There's there's a few of those, and but yeah, I I would say that the results are never final or complete. Would that be a fair thing to say? Uh, yes. Because you can't actually do the experiment. You can never actually point to concrete results. 
or you won't be able to do it for a very long time. Um, so, mm. uh, uh, yes, a, a famous early one is, um, Galileo's wanting to figure out if you drop two things from a tall place, um, do they drop at the same speed or at different speeds? Um, and you need there to be, um, you want to reduce the, um, um, impact of, of wind resistance, right? Because that'll change your outcome. Um, but, uh, so like you need to be on the moon to be able to actually test whether dropping two things at different masses and they fall at the same, at the same speed, but you can, um, come up with an, an analogy to, uh, to reason about it before you can actually get into that vacuum mm-hmm. environment the way that you're talking about. Um, it's, it's sort of. It's an abstra- there, it's an abstraction. Yes, and a thought experiment is also make it has assumptions built to it, and the assumption is we can abstract reality into a theoretical place, yeah. and we can run what we think is going to happen in that theoretical place using logic and first principles, and then when we take the conclusions from that theoretical place and then plug it into reality, we should get the same kind of thing. But that's a pretty big assumption. It doesn't right. necessarily work that way. Right. Um, um, yeah. So, like, the, I guess maybe this is. I, I know. I, I know for a fact this is not where you're going with this. Um, but the idea of like having an idea of how you want your team to play a certain sport, yep. like a tactic. Yep. This is how I want my. 10, 10 players on a soccer pitch to play the game. I have a philosophy of how the game is going to be played, and. Then, and then actually like putting the ball to those guys and, and they may have the model in their head as well. All right. right, coach wants us to play in this certain way. But then the reality of that um, doesn't necessarily uh, um, play that way. Like because you, you have all of the, all of these uncalculable factors of the real world yes. that is almost impossible to model uh, or incredibly difficult to model. Um, um, so, but there's still value in coming up with that oh, strategy sure. in the first place, right? Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, there, there's a, there's a big sort of philosophical difference between those who really want to have, I'll use soccer as an example, have these passages of play that are modeled out. So you have some coaches that almost want to train robots to play the game. And when this happens, this is what you do. And when this happens, what this is what you do. And they want to have complete control over how the game is played versus, you have, for example, the very famous Brazilian way of playing the game, which mm-hmm. is like they almost don't go out with a plan, yep. at least, and they just sort of rely on almost the relationships between the players yep. to have this emergent way of playing the game as yep. opposed to a modeled way of playing the game. So you have these competing models of one that's sort of like, you know, almost coming from like Greek philosophy of like abstracting ideas and working on them on the mental plane and then trying to put them back into reality. And then you have this more like emergent way of playing the game, which is we can't model all these things, go out and play the game and react to the world as it comes to you. And so they they don't have this modeled way of playing the game. And then you get two different ways of of playing soccer. So Does one um, end up being better? hmm? Does one end up being better? Um, One... Well, the thing is, one's almost more fragile. Like, well, uh, you almost need everybody for for the first one, for the modeled, for the for this controlled version of the game. You need everybody on board to do it, or the whole thing falls apart. Whereas the other one is a little bit more organic and a little bit more, um, uh, um, like. It can repair itself if it starts to go wrong in the in the situation. Whereas if everybody is playing the game a certain way and it's not working, and they're just going to like keep playing that way, 
you could get blown out eight nothing. Mm. Um, but when it works really well and everyone's playing on the same way, like it's almost impossible to beat. So you get these examples like the German national team who played amazingly well together on this very modeled way of playing, destroying Brazil in I think like the 2010 World Cup, eight to one. And people were like, well, this is the new change. It's now we're in the world of this sort of like modeled passage of play. And then that happens for a while and then and then the pendulum swings the other way. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like, like t- doing things, like mentally modeling things can get you real far, but then AJ's right in saying, hey, that you try to put that city into reality and, you know... Um, Good luck convincing yeah, your military five, to have golden blood. Exactly, right. five exactly. years into it and the whole <laughs> thing is like completely blown apart because of all these factors that you couldn't figure into your model. Because you're breeding humans like cattle and not letting them have parents. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, you're t- and again, to maybe AJ's point before, there are all kinds of reasons you can't do the thought experiment. Some of them would be ethical reasons that you should not create the city that's being described. But Plato's still able to make this argument as to how the it, it's how the person should be constituted. Mm-hmm. But then, but it's like through it's an analogy. It's a thought experiment via analogy. Kind the person of. is like the city. Yes, and then this is how that city could be run, and then that's where we get into all that. Um, so he's still able to make an argument. You can never actually do the thing that he's proposing. Um, I, I guess you know this. We'll we'll go into like actual thought experiments in a second. But kind of behind all this is like I just think the move toward uh, positivism or empiricism is just like so strong that there's kind of, I don't, I, I feel like I distrust um, the, the, the approach of like thinking through the problem, coming up with a hypothetical, even the term hypothetical almost has a negative connotation of you haven't actually tried it. You don't actually have experiments to support it. It's just something you've thought about, but I wasn't sure if you all had that same connotation with that. Maybe not. Is this that like that Francis Bacon uh, the uh, I mean um, anyway whatever we can move on. Okay. Is there a quote? No, it's just he he was always seen as kind of like the father of like him, not empiricism, but he's the um, once you have knowledge of something you have power over that thing and and he really is is um, the beginning of that you know um, early enlightenment or mid enlightenment. If we can just gather all of the data and we and we have it, we can now create a better world based on sort of abstracted models of things. Um, that, that sort of, um, that strong, strong belief in empiricism that you get in Hume. Yeah. Um, and then you, when you get to like the 20th century, then you start getting this Heisenberg uncertainty principle, which is when you're doing an experiment, you don't know if you actually observing the thing or changing it. it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, so then, that, and if that is true, then that sort of casts a massive shadow of doubt over empiricism. That's um, it. It's so beyond the scope of any of the stuff sure. I have here. But uh, th- no, there's just something interesting to um, like the ancient thought experiments kind of come out of the inability to do the tests that yeah. want to be done. Then as tools develop, we can actually just do the science and look at a thing. And now we doubt whether we can well, believe what we see. But like following yeah. that have gotten us. Yeah. But then those scientific findings uh, uh, become then metaphors for how we understand ourselves. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, so that's just interesting. That that probably is another episode for another time. Uh, just because it came up also the trolley problem. So that was kind of our uh, us actually using one of these thought experiments to try and talk about uh, morality, uh, what is right. Uh, it's a thought experiment that came, uh, came about in 1967, if you all recall that episode. Uh, I'm sure all of our audience has heard of it before. Essentially, you have a, a trolley on a track. It's headed toward 
I think in the in the traditional version, it's headed towards five people. But if you pull a lever, it'll switch to another track uh, and kill just one person. So then our episode after that was discussing whether it was right to pull that lever. I think I called it a lever the entire time. I don't know uh, uh, whether that was right or not. Just for the context of this discussion now, is that a useful way to get to a system of ethics? Is that is that question a useful one? What do you mean get to a system of ethics? Like, do I want to build my ethical standpoint from this? I think it's too small for that. What, what do you mean? Oh, that, uh, I meant it the way you said it, but maybe my question is wrong in the first place. I, essentially, is it a good way of determining what is right and what is wrong? Uh, is it a way? Yeah. It's a, it is an interesting way of determining human culpability for action not taken. Okay. But I think of as far as establishing a full system of ethics, I don't think you can start there. Maybe not a full system, but um, maybe like the limits of an ethical system maybe feels like it. So if if you come in and say, I am utilitarian, but then we can like kind of go back and forth with the trolley problem to see that like, you know, you would flip the lever if it was five people, but not if it were two. Mm -hmm. Like you're able to kind of get to these distinctions through the use of that thought experiment that you wouldn't actually want to test someone on. Okay. So finding the outer boundaries of what you're willing to do. Potentially. uh, Yeah. I mean, or even like the, again, the question I'm trying uh, getting at is like, is this a useful approach to a problem? In this case, it's an ethical problem. Um, or is it just like an interesting thing to talk about? I asked chat GPT to solve the trolley problem. And it doesn't, it just is like, you can't solve this. And they just gave me, he just gave me like five ways to solve it through different, like different moral systems. paradigms, utilitarianism, virtue ethics, this kind of stuff. It's like, man, it's like chat GPT was written by like an HR manager. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it is it a useful thing? I mean, is it useful to do thought experiments to come up with morality with moral answers? Yeah. When it comes to, I mean, again, if you think that morality is just like something that is an emergent thing to that exists for the survival of the species, that's mm-hmm. one take on it. And if you think that morality is an objective right or wrong that is somehow metaphysically or spiritually implanted in the heart of man, you're going to have a different take on it. So at that sense, you're just like the experimenter is going, or the, the thought problem conjurer is going to bring their own ideology behind that, right? Yes. Though I think it does get at like moral intuitions in a way that it's, it, it might be tough to discuss at a more, at a higher level, you know, when is it right to save one life versus another? I think it's easier to answer the question of do you pull a lever or not? Yeah. And like, that's the focusing benefit, I think around the trolley problem specifically, potentially all uh, thought experiments in general. What's that cringy new, like internet group? Are they the new rationalists? No, tell me, man, the hyper rationalists, the new, you're the the one on Reddit. I don't, you tell me. No, you knew we talked about this. They're the ones that are like, um, they're the, the, the ones that are like, that say we, we can crowdsource almost all the data to come effective with... Effective altruism. Yes, that's it. The, the, the effective altruism. Do you hear that they wrote their uh, their own Harry Potter book? Whereas Harry Potter himself does not have magical powers. He's just um, like hyper-rational and he uses like hyper-rationalism and what's it called? Um, effective altruism? Yeah, he uses effective altruism as his super as his magical superpower to solve problems. So, so what is effective altruism? Just being real smart? No, it's where you make your like giving decisions based on some measurable, measurable form of impact. So like you, you, your metric is you want to save the most lives. So then the question is per dollar spent, what saves the most lives? Then that's where all your money goes. But isn't, 
is that always the metric? Like, doesn't doesn't this depend on some other system of ethics to get going? Like, what if saving the most lives is not my metric? Uh, then you're wrong. So, like, it, they end up being real negative on like um, supporting the arts or um, thing, uh, um, symphonies or what, like uh, theaters and stuff like that because you give this money away while other people are suffering in the world. Sounds like a scintillating bunch to hang out with. <laughs> well, it sounds like the Harry Potter book would be great. So Wouldn't I go to an open mic. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the that's the thought behind it. What if there are no lives to be saved currently? There are always lives to be saved. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, if I'm poor and I'm a dollar dollar to my name, yeah. well, I suppose I could go and like make sandwiches. But they're also tied into like this new hedonism kind of thing where it's like maximizing maximizing pleasure. So yeah. you take the effect of altruism and use it into, into maximizing pleasure. And so there's this like, there yeah. Anyway, that kind of stuff. Sound intense. Yeah. <laughs> that part is probably yeah. true. Um, you can find examples of these thought experiments going back a long time. There's a, a, a fourth century example. Apparently this was, I'm sure this is still very much a question, but as to the, uh, the limits of the universe, is, uh, is the universe infinite or is it finite? Uh, and, and one way of getting at this is, uh, uh, I'll just read this from the fourth century, Archaetus, I believe, is the pronunciation. Probably not. If I arrived at the outermost edge of the heaven... Could I extend my hand or staff into what is outside or not? Mm. How do you like that? If you, do you have a uh, thought experiment? Yeah. Uh, well, well, at that point, you're at the prima mobile. So the you, prima mobile. So if you extend your staff, it's. I mean, all of a sudden, your arm is eternal, and you're going to decay. <laughs> so that's not a good thing. Wait, I don't know what that uh, is. That what's outside the universe? Is that the? I mean, if you're a medieval. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's fair enough. So a little bit later, but... What is, isn't is ours uh, cyclical? So if you go far enough in one direction, you end up back? On the other side, yeah. Isn't that the deal? Um, do they even know? Uh, yeah, we do, because we can uh, logic about these things. Like, you don't even need to go to the edge of the universe to find out. Ah, uh, got it, okay. I don't know if you I'm agree. on board. Are you on board? Yeah, I'll believe it. I, I need, <laughs> wait, no, I need you to... I'm incredibly credulous. Tell me this is a terrible idea. Uh, it would be paradoxical, given our normal assumptions about the nature of space, not to be able to extend it. Therefore, the universe is infinite. That's the, the thinking of the, uh, in the 4th century BC. Do you find this compelling? Have we answered the question? I don't why? find this compelling. Say why. Because he, he part of the assumption is in the thought. Exp- it's a bad thought experiment because he says, if you travel to the edge of the universe, can you extend your arm? Well, in his yeah. notion, there's no edge of the universe, so that's not even a question. So like, that's a dumb question. He, he contradicts himself in the very forming of the question. Okay. There is no edge to get to. So the whether or not you can extend your arm is not even part of the question. I like this. Yeah, eat it, Archelaeus. <laughs> yeah. In your face. You're Ar- friggin' Ar- dead. Ar- Ar- <laughs> uh, so uh, then let me give you another one that is kind of on the same theme and see if you like this one a okay. little bit better. It's, uh, Lay it on me. I'm on board. Um, Do we have a lot of these in this episode? I love thought experiments. Oh, you sound like you're done with it already. No, uh, no. I, no I, I was saying I love thought okay, experiments. Okay, good. There are kind of uh, three and a half, I guess. This is the half of the one. So, okay. So... Uh, Let's see if you like this one a little bit better. Sure. This one might be a little bit long. Uh, It's also like, so it's it's from Lucretius on on the nature of things. Have you all read this before? I have. Lucretius still sounds like a name that makes me uncomfortable, right? It sounds almost like secretion. I don't like that at all. Yeah, Yeah, it's terrible. Or he's like the bad guy in a comic book. Comic book, yeah. (laughs) Lucretius. I can see that happening. It just has this kind of a slimy sound It's you. It's been you all along. (laughs) It was Uh, all about oil. (laughs) Um... 
trying to get at the same question, whether the universe, whether there is a, a boundary to the universe or whether it is, uh, whether is there, there is not one, whether okay. universe is infinite or not. Oh, this is going, oh man. Okay. Lay it on me. There's no doubt that there is nothing with a boundary for if there were one, there would have to be something beyond and there is nothing there unless there were yet something else somewhere to set that limit so that one could see where our own innate senses cannot be. And since be, beside the sum, we now confess that there is not because it's limitless. This is a rhyming version. Dang, of well, what is he saying? <laughs> so the questions don't make no sense. <laughs> I'll have what he's having. <laughs> uh, asking it, uh, it's the same question. If we go out all the way in the universe, is there a boundary there? Is the question being asked? He says there's not because yes. uh, we don't For if there were one, there would have to be something beyond. And there is nothing there unless we were yet, unless there were yet something else somewhere to set that limit so that one could see where our own innate senses cannot be. So if you got there and there's a boundary, there's something beyond that boundary. The boundary implies that there must be something, something outside the boundary it. to establish yep. the boundary. And you would move it, and then that would, uh, you'd continue moving out space and space and space because the boundary always needs something on the other side yep, to establish it. For there it. to be but a boundary. That's a weird definition of boundary. Do boundaries always require that there be something on the other side? Uh, yeah. Now let's suppose that space is finite. <laughs> Easy answer. All right. Well, uh, now let's suppose the space is finite. So okay. let's take the other side. Sure. Well, if someone throws a spear out past the extreme shores, should we believe that it flows on extensively to whence it came or does something suppress its movement for you will have to profess one or the other, but whatever way you choose, you can't escape for you must say that all is infinite. So throw a spear. What happens with that spear? He's saying it either gets stopped, which yep. means there's something on the other side, or it keeps going, and then that's infinite. Yeah. What if it just loops back and hits you in the butt? Uh, then everything's a circle, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, time's a flat if, circle, isn't that? Or the, what if it just goes into non-being? He hasn't considered uh, that. Like the spear doesn't have to be stopped, and it doesn't have to return. It can just become nothing. Uh, but then that nothing is like what? The nothing is the boundary. Yeah. No, no, no. There, you can't say. Nothing is something. Nothing that's, is something. That's, that's, a, that's weird semantics. If there it truly is nothingness on the outside, uh-huh. then if I extend my arm, my arm is gone. And Ooh. if I throw the spear, the spear is gone. I don't like and there doesn't version. have to be anything on the other side. Yeah. It's simply where nothingness meets somethingness. Okay. This, all of this is possible. Okay. So your response to this would be that he hasn't considered all of the uh, potential options. That you might accept the, the thought. So again, like he's imagining you're like flying in the sky. You get to the, the, the border of things. You either see a wall right there implying something beyond it, or there's just a thing called nothing on the other side. Yeah, I'm, I'm implying that there could be something called oblivion, yeah. a, a very much akin to a black hole. You, something goes in there and it don't come out. Okay, this is a fair, um, this is a fair response. I, and the way we talk about it seems to imply that it's a something that can kill something, yes. right? Because even the word nothing is a noun, right. but I think in, that's, a, that's just a, a trick of language. Like, I think nothingness truly is possible, and if, like, obliteration can be a thing that happens. Okay. So outside of the real is obliteration. I think it's a fair response. Is that fair? Yeah, totally. I mean, and again, like the, I think the what you get here is this like it, it opens up the the topic so that you can like ask about. Okay, he set up these kind of um, elements that are in the scene, and then you get to kind of ask questions about it to to go back and forth on it. Yeah, I I love thought experiments. I'm yeah. not saying I believe that when we hit you know past Pluto or whatever, obliteration will destroy our spaceships. Yeah, but because that's as far as I've looked. Is there anything outside of Pluto? I'm Probably not. Nothing. Um, <laughs> nope, nothing beyond I just, that. Yeah. Uh, Stars know, aren't just real. Seems like a gap in his reasoning, right? Fair. Like he can only conceive of a boundary that has something on the other side. But take a bubble, for example. You have bubble inside of the the soap, and then outside would be non-bubble. Yeah. For us, that's a space akin to bubble, but it doesn't have to be. It can yeah. just be non. This you're doing something here, um, and again, I don't know if there's like a category for this, but you're 
Lucretius is is reasoning by metaphor. You're trying to reason by a different metaphor. Yep. And then you both get to go back and forth. What you haven't had to do, either of you, is to actually go to the edge of the universe and figure out what's there, right? There's a way to reason through this, to talk through what is knowable, even just between two people talking. Again, I think that's kind of the main benefit of these different approach of these um, of these thought experiments. You can still get pretty far, even having not traveled uh, further than humanly possible. Okay, so let's I, get. Sounds like AJ is two for two in these thought experiments. That's how I read this. Is that, is that what just yeah, happened right he's, there? He's, he's a genius. First one, he 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 crushed Archelaus or whatever his name <laughs> uh-huh, was. Uh-huh. Second one, I like he, you've uh, changed his name every time, which is I very good. It's and okay. the second it's one, he uh, just um, he just uh, sent a metaphor bomb back Lucretius's way. <laughs> Nerd. Uh, I feel like I've, I feel like you're mocking me because I probably haven't won these things. But no, am I mocking or is he mocking? No, I feel like it's all this. No, no, I'm serious, AJ. Hey, Graham, would you stop mocking AJ? I'm saying Graham. Two thought experiments were like. Came uh, all truculent. We're coming towards AJ, uh-huh. and he defeated them. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it, classical thought experiments. Uh, I like it. Um, okay, let's get to one that you all probably heard of before. I think, AJ, did you read Plutarch's Lives? Did you do an episode on Plutarch's Lives? Uh, I haven't read all of it, but I have read portions. Because I did all, an episode. Because the lives are all um, these like pairs of people, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Pairs of kings. Do you want to say what these are? He, he'll give you, it's mostly through the Greek Greek progenitors, Greek, Greek progenitors, and then the Roman progenitors, and it tr- tracks their kings and rulers all the way through both countries and, sa- and compares them and says, which one's better? Okay. So it's, a, it's he, a super fun book. And he usually finds ones that have had like similar kinds of events happen in their life, and mm. usually one's done really well with it, and one's kind of done crappy with it. And he's like, this, do it this guy's way, and don't do it that guy's way. Okay. Some of them are incredibly interesting. Yeah. Like the the oh, stuff yeah. about Lycurgus, the founder of Sparta, I love that chapter. It's yeah. it's all really cool. Is that is that the one you did the episode on? Was it like I did it on, I think... Caesar. Okay. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so th- this next one will come from a, a section on uh, someone named uh, Theseus. So maybe that gives away where we're going. Did you read that, the section on Theseus? No. Okay. So you don't want to say anything about who Theseus is? Didn't he have that ship? Uh, he does have a ship, and that's what we're about to talk about right now. <laughs> uh, founder of Athens is the, is the relevant part. Um, so I'll just read this. This is from Plutarch's Lives. This is, uh, you know, you've, people have probably heard of the ship of Theseus, but this is like the thing that preserves it. It's uh, Plutarch's Lives. Uh, I'll just read this from here. The ship on which Theseus sailed with the youths and returned in safety, the 30 oared galley, was preserved by the Athenians down to the time of Demetrius Phalius. They took away the old timbers from time to time mm. and put new and sound oh, ones. I know this one. And put new and sound ones in their places so that the vessel became a standing illustration for the philosophers in the mooted question of growth, some declaring that it remained the same, others that it was not the same vessel. And then Plutarch just moves on. <laughs> but this is this uh, uh, huge uh, thought experiment, the ship of Theseus. Uh, you all have made reference that you've heard of this one before. The way it goes is you just heard kind of the or the origin of it. But you just imagine there's a ship, big old ship. And over time, the ship gets old and some of the wood on it is replaced. Some of the, the I don't know, the, the, the parts of the ship are replaced over time. Um, is that still the, the same ship? The original version is just as you make repairs to it, is that ship that has had repairs to it still the same one that Theseus rode. Uh, gentlemen, do you want to take a swing at this one? Graham, you don't feel this one? Um, <laughs> it is the same ship. It is the same ship? Because it has the same form. Okay. The same form. What do you well, mean lots by Lots of ships have that form. Yeah. yeah. That's fine. But this one's, but not completely the exact same. This, this ship is the same. But it's not the same exact same. Some of the, some of the timbers different. are, I'm sure, different. No, no, really different. It's literally different. They made sure it was the same. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but no, it's different. I wonder if the question is, 
if you get bogged down in the question of material, right? Of course, all the materials are now different. It is physically a different ship, but the qu- real question is ownership. Theseus was the owner of that ship. That's he is still owner of all of the new timbers that come into that ship. So it is still the ship of Theseus. That's right. Our hearts are the story that ship had. <laughs> that um, is... The things we associate with it, the feelings we have towards it. But like it. every, you know, imagine every board, every piece of that ship has been replaced. You would still say that is the same ship, even though it's literally has no piece in common. Well, don't with we have that problem with our bodies? Like, don't our cells replace yeah, every, like every eight years or whatever? So I'll look it up. Depends on the part of the, because like I think brain cells are slower than that. Like it's, yeah. uh, skin cells are much more, much But at some point, that. like, I am completely different than yeah. physically than what I was. Uh, but I have an immu- immutable soul, gentlemen. Okay. So then your soul is the same, but it's a different grand body along the way? I'm cool with that. Okay, I, cool. I can go with that. I mean, it's definitely a different grand body. I, like, make creaky noises when I wake up. Uh, this is what getting old has I know. in store. Ooh, some of our body's cells, like those in our brain, heart, and eyes are with us our entire lives. Oh, there you go. eat Great. it, Theseus. So then you're actually the same person <laughs> okay, the whole time. Okay, that's cool. Okay. My heart well, your my eyes are the are... same. Everything else is... <laughs> <laughs> This is not hey, my, my eyes and my heart my eyes and my brain. Is that what it was? It said some some part of your brain. Yeah, so the important stuff is that what you're... all the important stuff. Okay, uh, the soul brain, the the, the brain. Anyway, um, so as long as the rudder's the same, we're good. Is it the same boat? Yeah, it's the same boat. And why is it the same boat? Because it's <laughs> like in the same spot. Because I'm making a blind <laughs> assertion. For this one, I actually don't have a good answer. I think yeah, that's a great question. It's a hard one. The I just did a whole bunch, bunch of learning about Buddhism with my students, and Buddhists would say that there is no self, all because all of it is changeable, and because the self n- could never Wait, will. Wait, who says that? Buddhism. Wait, who? Like an oh, individual the Buddhist? The Buddha. How do they know? How, how can they, like, can well, I distinguish between one versus another? Donaldson, you've just become enlightened, my friend. There is no. Oh, wow. There is no self. <laughs> wow. So... There really? is there was no ship to begin with. It was simply a, a mental construct to describe a whole bunch of pieces of wood nailed together. Is there a spoon? There is no spoon. No a spoon. There's a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just pointing out that all of that is a, a an easy reference word for what is basically a whole bunch of parts cobbled together. Um, there was no ship of Theseus in the beginning because all it is is timber and nails. That's yeah, what it really boo. is. Boo. But timber I and also nails. don't really agree with oh. the Buddhists oh, okay. on this one. I think there is a self, but it's a, it's a hard it's a hard question. I've never had a good answer to this one. I think the ownership thing is just a dodge. Um, for me. And my blind assertion is also just a dodge. Yeah. <laughs> Even better. Um, okay. Can I make it more difficult since we don't have an answer for... Can you? Yeah, I can. Oh, sure, So yeah. um, uh, I was going to say my boy Thomas Hobbes only because we share a name, but I, I you know, I, I share no close personal relationship you, with him. Well, I, I love Red the stuff tiger. That's him. That's a big fan. I, I, I meant to put uh, the Calvin and Hobbes... Collected edition you have in the in the shot for this one, but I did not do that. Mm. Why do you have hardcover edition of Calvin and Hobbes? That was donated, I think, by a student. It's a great gift. It's a fantastic gift, and it gets used all the time. Really? When kids are done with tests, they can go pull stuff out of the library. And what else do they want to pull down but comics? And, yeah. So they pull down the Calvin and Hobbes all the time. Is that Bill Waterson? Is that mm-hmm. the? He has another comic coming out. Does he really? Yeah, it's not Calvin and Hobbes though. It's I want to say it's some kind of like horror comic. Oh, weird. Um, no, the not, mysteries. I think is what it's it, called. Yeah, the it. mysteries. Um, I'm in. I pre-ordered it, so I'm curious. But um, anyway, just good to have him back uh, doing comics. Uh, anyway, yeah. so um, Mr. Thomas Hobbes, he writes a book. It's called De Corpore. Uh, obviously one of our favorites. And he comes back to this this uh, ship of Theseus. So I will, I'll just read straight from De Corpore. Uh, for 
Uh, for if, for example, that ship of Theseus, concerning the difference whereof made by continual reparation and taking out the old planks and putting in new, the sophisters of Athens were wont to dispute, were, after all, the planks were changed, the same numerical ship it was at the beginning. So in the original example, you got one ship, you end with one ship, right? You're just replacing boards, you still keep one ship. And if some man had kept the old planks as they were taken out, and by putting them afterwards together in the same order had again made a ship of them, this, without doubt, had also been the same numerical ship with, uh, with that which was at the beginning. And so there would have been two ships numerically the same, which is absurd. To take his example again, as you're replacing the ship of Theseus, you take the old boards, you make a new ship of Some Theseus. Some guys like stealing them out of yeah. the garbage. And you make a new one. Mm-hmm. So but now then you, you have, have a ship and crappy ship. Uh, no, the, yeah. the one you're rebuilding, it, would, it might be a crappy ship, but it is clearly the ship of Theseus. Right. The, any any tourist would want to come and see the one that's been the new put one. together. For, the old one. You're saying the old one. Anyone would would any tourist would want to come and see the original planks. Okay. And so they would go see whatever this other guy has built. So is that one the actual ship of Theseus? Blind assertion. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because when you go to when you go to the paleontology museum and you see uh-huh. a T Rex, you're uh-huh. like, oh, it's freaking cool. And they're yeah. like, this is a reproduction of a T Rex that's in a vault somewhere. And you're like, this sucks. <laughs> I want the real T Rex. I yeah. want like your paper mache T Rex. Give me the real one. Yeah, exactly right. So you're yeah. telling me that. Okay, so in our first one, that ship is the ship of Theseus. I'm that was your mind. answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm also changing my mind. Yeah, that's not it's the not real ship of Theseus. It's, it's not, not, it's not the ship. Not. It's not the ship. It's I'm gone. not going to go see it. And I won't stand for it. I am <laughs> definitely not paying for it. <laughs> this is incredible. Okay, so we've gone from there being one. So, but so now the new one is it's fake. The OG. The OG ship is the, the real OG one. Ship is the and real if one. it decays, then like there's no more. There's ship no of more Theseus. Pour one out for the ship of Theseus. It only lives in our hearts. You can't. You can't reproduce it. Even though, like, the legal ownership is still for the new Doesn't one. Doesn't matter. Okay. And now he owns a, a, a sham. A fake. It's, uh, yeah. I love this so much. Smoke and mirrors. Okay. So that's, uh, that's Hobbes' addition to, uh, to the ship of Theseus is making it so that you have the one ship that's being repaired over time and then the second ship that is uh, uh, created from the original materials. That, little, that solved it for me. <laughs> okay. Good. If you could take all my cells that were dying and uh-huh. then, like, make, make, a, a new one? make a new AJ, that's the original AJ. But there's no, uh, fake. But your conscious experience, like, you wouldn't, tra- I don't maybe you can transfer that. I don't know. ChatGPT. Uh, I don't see what that has to do with this. <laughs> please, would become please your... recreate the, the yes. consciousness of AJ Hannenberg. You could do that. Uh, who's uh, what's the Economist guy's name? Um, it's Tyler. Tyler Cowen. One of his recent interviews was with ChatGPT, but it was ChatGPT as Jonathan Swift, and so he he hired someone to read the answers. But it was like every prompt was as Jonathan Swift answer this question. It was a very it was very good. So uh, maybe the future is now. Okay, so. Uh, what do we get there? So we get. Whoa, the, but if, as soon as we get like, like ChatGPT, who can imitate people, they can do that. And now. if we get like enough examples of people's language mm-hmm. that it can actually like imitate language, we could just like have conversations with our like dead relatives. Yeah, that doesn't seem healthy. Why? Because they're they're gone. They're not the real relative. Yeah, but they're you the never second go to ship a, of Theseus. You never go to a medium. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can do that now, man. Yeah. Be like, oh man, I really miss grandma. And you fire up your phone. It's like, I love you, honey. Like, yeah. Have you ever seen the yeah. Black Mirror episode? Probably. Where <laughs> you said yes before you were. <laughs> no, I think I knew we were going with this. There's, there's one where a lady, she misses her husband. husband and yeah. so she orders the robot version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is put together with a conglomeration of all the stuff he's posted on social media. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things was he made a sarcastic comment about this thing that was clearly not funny. And he wrote, that's funny. And then the robot 
thought legitimately it was. thought it was funny, and her husband never would have, and that's yeah. the thing that creeped her out every time. I feel like that's what would happen with ChatGPT. You think so? Like it's just it's not really grandma. I I yell into the internet as if I'm yelling into a bucket. None of my stuff makes sense. Yeah, but um, do you actually post on social media? I used to. Any okay. anything from my Facebook is yeah. just nonsense. AJ would matter. just throw chaos into the algorithm just to like mess it up. Yeah, uh, which I think is probably a healthy thing. But um, become unmanageable. This is good. Exactly. Yeah. But but people are going to like who aren't going to deal with their grief are just going to like download a version of their dead loved one that has a language model and can talk to them and just basically like flatter them into believe. Oh my word! This is terrible. Is that bad? It's bad. Oh, okay. Real bad. Oh, interesting. That might be nice. That doesn't seem so bad. Yeah. Like a final goodbye or whatever. I don't know. There's no final goodbye. Okay, you can keep talking to them. Sounds yeah. great. It's okay. we, no we, more grief. Live in the eternal banished, now. Yeah, we've ba- we've banished grief. What's the wait? Oh, It'll just be a sad, weird guy in his bedroom chatting on the, yeah, the that's internet. Not, that's not great. Eventually, people give that up. That's not great. No, they won't give that up. That's the problem. Um. Okay. So what do we what do we get with these thought experiments? We oh. get to talk about ChatGPT. No, we get this. Uh, it, you know, we get this focusing on trying to figure out what exactly is either the same or different between these ships. How do we understand what is persistent over time? That's kind of what, again, what the ship of Theseus uh, argument is getting at. And then, uh, Graham, you started referencing this. I wasn't sure if you'd actually read Hobbes before, just if that, if this, you were just responding in the same way. He, he also draws these distinctions between form and matter. Mm-hmm. That there's like the form of the ship, which is that first one, because it's like that is the ship. I think we meant it as a joke, but it is like the location of the ship of Theseus is the one that is the original one, Mm -hmm. even though it's replaced. That's still that, that form, but the actual matter of it has been moved to the second ship. So you can say they are the same in two different senses. One is in form, one one is in matter. So anyway, it, it, uh, these thought experiments help you to kind of focus in on those differences so that you can um, more clearly explain these concepts. Just is I that thought, all three hmm. experiments? Now that we got we got Zeno, <gasps> I thought you were going to. Uh, just you when got? you were talking about um, um, uh, the guy who uh, shoot um, who does the comparisons of the two ancient leaders, oh, uh, Plutarch. Um, Plutarch. Yeah. In many ways, like the actual business or the actual art of history is mm-hmm. a thought experiment, because when you're doing history, you're not actually like giving every little jot and tittle that happened in history because you couldn't do that. You right. couldn't write a book. If you wrote, really wanted to give a history of if someone's writing the history of classical stuff you should know or someone's writing the history of AJ's life, the only way to do it realistically would, would be to like completely replay AJ's life. Right. You can't do that. So you need to go into some sort of abstraction where you're taking where you're saying this is important, this is not important. This was formulative, formulative in AJ's thought and this wasn't. And then you are making – you're basically, in that sense, like the, the, the act of writing history is a bit of a thought experiment. Like you are abstracting it and, um, and, and you know, pulling from the, from the reality into an abstracted thought yep. um, and then saying this is, you know, what is when it comes – if you want to understand AJ, all you need to understand is this 350-page right. book on history right. and, and then you've got it. Um, that's why I also think this, this and I don't think that's wrong. I think it's helpful, but anyway, because I think this plays into some stuff you've talked about around, uh, all of this thinking is by metaphor, right? And that, um, we actually get, end up getting huge benefit from thinking by metaphor 
because of the cost of actually building the ship, you know, creating a second one, then asking the question, as opposed to just talking. Metaphor is like a big, is, yeah, is like a compression algorithm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, since you posed a question that I thought was fun, I posed it to, I, I, I passed it on to ChatGPT. All right, which one was it? Uh, right, uh, you, you, you said when people w- will write the history of classical stuff you should know. Oh, yeah. I asked ChatGPT to write the, cl- the history of classical stuff you should know. What did Can us? I read you the first paragraph? Sure. Classical Stuff You Should Know is a podcast created by Thomas... And John, two high school teachers from Louisville, Kentucky, who wanted to share their love of classical history, literature, and philosophy with a broader audience. The podcast premiered in 2013, not true, and quickly gained, actually, no, that can't be true. Can't be true. Can't be true. And quickly gained a following due to its engaging, informative, and humorous style. Also well, that's, not that's not true. That's not true. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> was quick about that was, it. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else before I move on to, uh, to Zeno? No, but let's say that in 50 years, like, that's the only article about classical stuff you should know that exists. And, we'll figure uh, out the technology. Now and then, be then that's then. what is true. Yeah. But it's not. We have a website <laughs> that we wrote. You, you can't know that humans wrote it, but just trust us. Uh, there aren't any problems with, with large language models. Okay. Uh, up next are uh, a, a famous set of, uh, of uh, so-called paradoxes. These are uh, Zeno's paradoxes, which I guess we also – they can also be thought experiments because we're going to be able to test out this hypothesis without actually running the experiment that's described. Is this if you eat half a cookie and you keep eating half a cookie, you have an eternal cookie? I like your version of it. uh, I'll I'll read this one. There are multiple formulations of it. Um, I want to say that there are nine Xeno paradoxes, and so this is just one one version of it. Because my wife does that with with dessert. She'll eat half Half, a brownie and then half the half the brownie (laughs) and then half the half the half the brownie. Uh And then I'm like, just finish the brownie. She's like, I, but if I do, then it's done. Do you want to, just because you're making reference to it, do you want to say what the version that you're referencing it's, is? It's, if you, uh, he's running a marathon. Uh-huh. He's running a race, uh-huh. and if he keeps running half a distance. Um, well, so, so, to the, get, so to get to the end of it, to you, get to, yeah. you have to run half the distance. You have to run half to the distance. But, if you, but in order to run half the distance from that, okay, so you run half the distance, but then there's still a distance to the end from that half distance. Right. So you've got to run half of that. So you've got to run half of that. And then essentially you are running half distances all the way. You will never reach the finish line. Yes. That is the, the paradox. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you this version of it. This, this one involves Achilles and a tortoise. So the, the, the second is this, the so-called uh, um, Achilles, and it amounts to this, that, a race, that, uh, that in a race the quickest runner can never overtake the slowest since the pursuer must first reach the point whence the pursuit, whence, whence the pursuit started so that the slower must always hold a lead. Uh, this argument is the same in principle, um, as that which depends on bisection, which is what you were just saying, though it differs from it in that the spaces with which we have successfully to deal are not divided into halves. It's just to, um, uh, so you have a tortoise that's like a little bit ahead of Achilles, but for Achilles to get to the tortoise, it, it has to reach the point that the tortoise started at. But by that point, the tortoise has moved ahead slightly, then Achilles must reach that point. Does that, oh, does that make sense? And it. so then Achilles will never win because Achilles must always reach that point that the tortoise has made it to first, and that point is always moving ahead. No, so the tortoise will make it first. Checks out a new Achilles was a chump. Okay, well, just run past the tortoise. Wait, what? Just run past him. No, you just can't. Just finish the race. No, but you have to. You have to get to the tortoise first, and then you the will. tortoise will have moved by that point. No, you just flip him over. <laughs> <laughs> I like your version. Yeah, at that point you're close enough. You can just yeah. lift lift under the. It's actually not. Uh, uh, so Diogenes heard this story. Have y'all have y'all heard this part before? So Diogenes heard the story about like Zeno saying that Achilles could never. Uh, it was either the Achilles version. There's another version where it's like an arrow is shot yeah. and, the, and mm. the arrow will never actually make it. And that's the one where it's like it has to reach the half point and the half of the half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For our audience, Diogenes is the classical lit, you know, philosophy troll. He yeah. just trolled everybody all the time. And so his response upon hearing this is that he, get up, he got up and he just walked over to the corner of the street and 
it's proving that you can actually walk. Like the whole thing was a waste of time. Um, <laughs> so, so there's this whole, uh, th- this actual phrase is attributed to Augustine. Um, but, uh, uh, sol- solvitor ambulando, it is solved by walking. You ever heard that? So that, that, that apparently goes back to the Diogenes story of like, yeah, sure, like you can give me this hypothetical about how things don't actually work, but the problem is solved just, just by walking. So I always thought that was a fun Diogenes story. That's what I'll say when I finish Amanda's dessert. <laughs> it is solved by eating? Is yeah. that the, I love that answer too. Uh, yeah, those were, uh, I just had a couple of thought experiments that I thought were fun. Uh, you know, the kind of subtext behind all of it is so what I want to eventually get to is Aristophanes, the clouds to actually do an episode on that, which is about kind of the waste of space that philosophers are. Um, and I think one way that they, that, you know, the, in a broad brush, they get condemned as for these kind of thought experiments that don't have an analog in, in the real world. So, uh, yeah. Do you know about the, um, the omnipotence paradox? Tell me the can, can God create a lock, so, a rock so large he cannot lift it? Sure. Yeah. I've heard it. Yep. Can he? Uh, no, because it can't exist. Well, the question is really, can he, can he be omnipotent, right? Or, um, yeah, because if he's all powerful enough to do a thing, I mean, there's a few different versions of it, right? Can an omnipotent omnipotent being create a triangle whose angles do not add up to 180 degrees? Or can God create a prison so secure that he cannot escape from it? (laughs) Um, so there's a few different responses. What do you say? Yeah. I'm with, um, if you, if you look it up on Wikipedia, um, (laughs) Uh, there's some of the responses are the paradox is meaningless. The question is sophistry. Uh-huh. And I agree with that, right? It's basically, can God be so powerful that he's not powerful? That's the real actual question. Um, can something be true and false at the same time? If you create a rock that is infinitely large, there is therefore nowhere to move it to like lifting right. the, the rock simply cannot translate. It is impossible to move. When you're dealing with infinities, it gets to be a really silly question. Yeah. God can, God cannot move an infinite rock because there is nowhere for the rock to go. It covers all things, right? All space. Yeah. Like shower thoughts. <laughs> yes. So that's, I've heard people say that and be like, oh, dunk on God. <laughs> but it's not. It's a, it's, the question is sophistry. I'll buy it. All right. Uh, that's all I got. So who opened this episode? I did. It's good to be back, y'all. Uh, it's good after, to be back. a couple weeks. Indeed. So this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. With Graham Thomas and AJ, I'm um, so excited about it. Well, I'm trying to think yeah. if there's like I'm trying to think of something clever about like start saying thought John. experiments. Yeah. Like if you have like a classical stuff thought experiment. Like,